When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 96, and we are recording on September 5th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. What's it, up, Amanda? It's back to school. Oh, it is. It I, is. I feel like uh, Virginia goes back way late, like, or at least Richmond does. Um, I've been seeing like first day of school obligatory, you know, kid photos on Facebook for like two weeks now. Mine <laughs> just went back today, uh, but I'm very happy. Well, I think Philly is the same because when I went out on my run this morning, there were a bunch of kids walking around and I heard a lot of parents being like, happy first day. So uh, I think, um, I think we are on the same schedule as you perhaps. What are you, uh, what are you reading? I am reading The Essex Serpent by Sarah Perry, which I... Can't believe it's not, like, buzzier. I don't know exactly when it came out. It was a couple of months ago. Um, but I started it this weekend when it was raining and gross and dreary because it, I heard that it was, like, a Victorian kind of mystery. And it's so much fun. If you are at all into, like, Victorian stuff, the main character, I mean, it's set in Victorian England. The main character is a widow of a guy, of, a, of like, a really physically abusive husband. And now that her husband is dead, she's just decided to do whatever she wants. And what she wants to do is, like, move to the middle of nowhere and play in the mud and look for fossils. So, like, if you like, what was that Elizabeth Gilbert book about the lady um, who studies moss? Oh, um, yeah. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. Anyway, um, <laughs> Victorian lady scientist does a thing. And then the Essex serpent is like this rumored Loch Ness monster kind of lizard thing that is supposed to live in this estuary in the backwaters of England where she's moved to. And she's decided that maybe it's a living dinosaur. And so she's going to like hunt it down. <laughs> and like maybe it's real and maybe it's not. Anyway, she befriends. Um, she becomes really close friends with this, uh, the local, the parish um, pastor, whatever they're called in England. I don't know minister rector sure um who is not having it um because that's not real uh he you know it's rumors and we need to get back on following the straight and narrow and then all of these rumors will go away or whatever and so there's lots of like really interesting discussions and it's it's like fun and muddy and everything is gross and rainy so if you get like a good rainy day and you want to settle in for something kind of dickensian but not dickens that's a good that's a good one i think I feel like all of the insiders have read that book. I know that they have been buzzing about it. But you're right. I haven't seen it much of anywhere else. Um, I just finished on the bus this morning, 15 Dogs by Andre Alexis, which came to me in the Afrofutures uh, box, the the box that I talked myself into signing up for <laughs> when, we, when I read an ad for it on this podcast. Remember that box? Yeah. I ordered that box. It was great. Um, it, this one came full of snacks. I don't know that it's always going to be full of snacks, but I mean, this one was hopes. like, one can only hope, but the theme was like... Canadian speculative fiction. And so the box was full of Canadian snacks. Like there's Tim Hortons coffee and like potato chips and a weird flavor that they don't have in the U.S. And <laughs> just delightful. But anyway, the book is about, um, this book is really weird too. It's really good. It's about a bunch of dogs who are in like, you know, an overnight kennel 
And the gods Apollo and Hermes are like drinking nearby and decide to like make a bet that dogs that like humans are miserable because they have self-consciousness or they have consciousness. And so they're like, well, let's give it to dogs and see what happens. (laughs) So they like gift slash curse these 15 dogs with like basically human consciousness and make a bet to see what will happen. And that is what the book is about. It's really weird and lovely. And it's printed on like linen paper stock. Ooh. Like the paper is so thick. When I opened it, I was like, <gasps> like I had a moment of like, oh, paper. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice paper. Um, so yeah, so that was that was a delight. I'm I'm a big fan of the box that we advertised that I also ordered that box, yes. Um, okay, so <laughs> on to the meat of the show where we are going to give you a bunch of recommendations for your reading needs, whether that is what your book club should read next or what you should get for your uncle for their birthday or you know you have a a hole in your heart shaped like the last book you read and you need more like it send us your questions we will answer them you can send them to us in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for every episode or you can email them to getbooked at bookriot.com we will sometimes email responses to you if you have a time sensitive request and we don't think we're going to get to it on air in the time allotted um, or if we've had a question a bunch of times and you know we don't want to make you wait till it comes around again uh, so that is how you can send us questions and now we will start answering these ones. I'm going to read the first question and then Amanda's going to tell you about our first sponsor and then we will dive in. So our first question comes from Carolina who says, a couple of days ago was the celebration of India's independence from the UK. I want to know if there are some books of historical fiction or nonfiction that talk more about the India and Pakistan conflict. I, uh, I like genres besides romance and erotica. I know some of them have historical fiction, but not interested. If it is a nonfiction book, I would like it not, I would like it I would not like it very heavy or too long. Sorry, I can speak, I swear. Uh, The only book related with this topic was the biography of Malala. Okay. Um, Our first sponsor, I'm actually really excited about because I've never read this author and it's kind of like one of those, you know, shameful things that you don't admit on the internet except I just did, so let's not tell anybody. So our first sponsor is Swing Time by Zadie Smith. Um, Zadie Smith, of course, all of you know, is a New York Times bestselling author, and Swing Time is a New York Times bestselling novel that takes place in Northwest London, moves to West Africa and New York, and it's the story of two childhood best friends, um, and it is now available in paperback. So if you are a paperback waiter, which I know many of you are, um, with a good reason, you can now go out and get that. So it follows the relationship between these two best friends from their childhood up to the present day, They both dream of being dancers, and like I said before, it bounces back and forth between London and West Africa and New York City, and it's a really complex look at uh, struggles at the intersections of race, class, and gender, and of course, Zadie Smith is a, you know, highly respected voice in all of those fields, race, class, and gender, both in fiction and nonfiction. Swing Time is her fifth novel, um, although she does have a new collection of essays coming out in February called Feel Free. Um, The book is a bestseller. It's been longlisted for the Man Booker Prize recently. If you uh, follow that prize, uh, the longlist came out, I think, two weeks ago. Um, And it's also a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award for Fiction. Uh, The Washington Post says that Smith's attention to the grace notes of friendship is as precise as ever, and Swing Time uses its extraordinary breadth and its syncopated structure to turn the issues of race and class in every direction. Also, the cover is very pretty. So go check that out. That's Swing Time by Zadie Smith, and thank you for sponsoring the show. All right, I will keep going. Um, So 
excuse me, in not celebration, but to commemorate, I guess, the independence of India and also the partition, one of our contributors put together um, a list in August of books about partition, specifically books about partition written by women. Um, So I will leave a link to that in the show notes. And the book that I'm recommending to you is off that list. It's called The Great Partition by Yasmin Khan. It is nonfiction, um, but since you said you wanted something not very heavy or too long, I went with this one because it's only like 250 pages, which for a history book is not that much. Um, So the partition of India happened in 1947, um, and this book starts in World War II because it's kind of impossible to look at the uh, the UK's release, I guess, of... Uh, of India without thinking about like how the war bankrupted them and what they wanted to do with their government after the war and all that. So it starts there and it moves um, up to kind of present day. Um, and it talks both about the nonviolent um, resistance movement in India and also about the, you know, the actual partition of uh, the Muslim state of Pakistan away from India and um, all of the deaths that resulted from that, which I didn't know they that they were so like, monumentous over a million people were killed and it's estimated that like 12 million people were forced to leave their homes as refugees um so it's one of the most bloody events of decolonization in history certainly in the 20th century um so this is kind of an overview it does take more of like a um not great man theory view of history but like day-to-day person kind of like middle class experience view of history which i tend to prefer so that is the great partition the making of india and pakistan by yasmin khan I have, I was torn on this one because it was really tempting to recommend Midnight's Children by Salman Rushdie, which is um, a lot about the partition. Um, But instead, I am recommending to you a shorter one because you did say you wanted short. Um, And that is Clear Light of Day by Anita Desai, which is an amazingly beautifully written book. Um, It is under 200 pages and it is about an Indian family who, so they, it's about a bunch of grown siblings and um, one of them Tara has returned to the family home in Old Delhi um, and is her her sister and her one of her brothers still lives there and the novel starts out with them just like you're just kind of getting to know all of the sort of old established sibling patterns even though these are grown siblings so like you know they're back in their family home and you know all of the old little things are coming up again and Tara's husband is like, ugh, it's always, I hate coming here, and, you know, he's not into it. He goes off, he does his own thing. Um, The brother who still lives at home, Baba, has um, some mental issues, and so he's not well and is not independent, and so that's part of the story. And then as they're interacting with each other, you get these flashbacks to their childhood and their coming of age, which took place during. Uh, So the the partition of Pakistan and, and the sort of political situation in India is the backdrop for their sort of daily lives and how they have their own family patterns that take place against this sort of bigger events of history. So it's kind of like a, a close-up look at one family and how um, how they lived during that time period. So I thought it would be sort of a compliment to, um, I knew Amanda was recommending an actual like history about it, and then that list is a really great one. So this is sort of like that personal touch. Um, and it's, she's, Desai is an amazing writer. Like her prose is just gorgeous. So I think this is definitely a, bu- a book worth reading. Um, so that is Clear Light of Day by Anita Desai.
All right, question two is from Jordan, who says, my mom and I have started a book club made up of just the two of us to help us reconnect now that I'm adult, now that I'm an adult and haven't lived at home for years. So far, it's been going really well, but lately I've been trying to include more diverse books into our reading list. I already have some ideas, but I'd love suggestions for books with LGBT characters. I can't seem to come up with anything that she might enjoy that isn't either tragic, I'm so sick of the barrier gaze trope, or a coming out story. I would love something where the character is most definitely queer, but it isn't about them coming out. I tend to lead towards sci-fi fantasy and YA, so most of the books I know that fit my criteria are in that genre, but my mom is more of a literary fiction and mystery fan and doesn't tend to like fantasy, and she's really not into YA. I'm more than willing to branch out and read other genres. I like a bit of everything. Looking more for fiction than for nonfiction. Okay, um, I'm going with The Dime by Kathleen Kent, which is a mystery thriller, because you said your mom likes mysteries so that's what I went with and uh the dime is about a woman named Betty who is a cop from Brooklyn and she comes from like a long line of cops so it's that sort of like blue bloods kind of um police family drama um and she gets a new job in Dallas Texas where she is moving uh with her girlfriend to work the um drug like the narcotics kind of squad um which in Texas and Dallas is, you know, keeps her busy. There's a lot there's a lot of cases involving Mexican drug cartels and like cult leaders and all kinds of characters that you don't imagine intersecting that that uh, intersect in this book. And the case that she's working on um turns into like a giant disaster. The suspect that she's interrog or that she is uh investigating his like head shows up somewhere. Almost everyone involved in the case turns up dead in a really horrible, violent way. Um, Betty has super creepy stalkers, and she can't figure out why. Like she just moved to Dallas, hasn't had a chance to offend anyone. Why are people following me around? Um, and then also she's dealing with living in an area of the country where her being in an open, committed, queer relationship is like not welcome, or not as welcome as it was when she was living in Brooklyn. So all of that kind of stuff is going on. It's a page turner. But if you like the, um, you know, that like gritty lady cop does gritty lady cop things, then this is like right up your alley. Uh, so that's The Dime by Kathleen Kent. All right. I picked a literary fiction so that we were covering all of your mom's bases. <laughs> um, and it is one of the books I read in the last year that to me had some of the most like sort of matter of fact queer representation. It's Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. Um, and it is about a group of grown-ups who met in college and now their own kids are heading to college and they live in the same neighborhood and they've been friends for, you know, decades. Um, and they kind of have settled into their lives. Um, there's a hetero couple and then a, a lesbian couple and, um, they each have a child and the kids have grown up together and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and then they were in a band in college and the lead singer, Lydia, kind of like went off and had her own career and then died. Um, and so now like Hollywood is coming knocking for the life rights so that they can make a movie, like a biopic about this, you know, dead rock star, because that's what Hollywood loves to do. And this request sort of unleashes all of these like tensions that have been brewing, but just sort of needed a little push. Um, so it's, it's kind of about, like, it's about marriage and how, like, over time things can get harder, different things can get easier. Like, how do you approach, you know, your own middle age and your children are leaving and you're staring down an empty nest and you're like, what have I done with my life? What am I doing with my life? 
is this where I want to be? Is this who I want to be with? Like all of those just sort of midlife questions are definitely on the page. But you also get the teenagers' voices, which I thought was really fun. So you go back and forth between these people who like once were cool and are now like, am I not cool anymore? Like I'm old. <laughs> you have to ask. Right, you have to ask. You're like, oh, shoot. And then the ki- the teens who are just like, oh, whatever, mom. Like they're so teenagery. It's great. Um and I really liked the way all of those relationships like played out on the page. Um, there's some like big things that happen, but everybody has tons of money, so nobody's en- ever in any like real danger of you know life upset. So it's much more about like those complicated relationships and what's going to happen with those relationships. So that's um, that's Modern Lovers by Emma Straub. I think it would be a super fun book to read and discuss. And our next question is from Jackie, who says, American Gods has been on my mind lately due to the new TV show. I loved that book and was wondering if you have any other suggestions for books with gods involved, preferably a fiction read. I would also love suggestions on books involving portals, portal sci-fi slash fantasy, if you happen to include a bonus recommendation. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I went with Promise of Shadows by Justina Ireland, which is based on Greek mythology, so there's lots and lots of gods. Um, there are also several portals, which I don't know that I would classify this as, as like portal fantasy because it's not the thing that drives the plot, but it is how a lot of the characters get around between this world and like the underworld, so there you go. Uh, so the main character is Zephyr. She's a harpy. Um, and she is very bad, or was very bad, at being a harpy. Um, she was never, like, interested in killing people. She kind of just wanted to watch reality television and try on jeans at the mall, whatever. Um, but then she gets into um, a fight with a god when her sister, who is romantically involved with this person, uh, is murdered. She, uh, Zephyr gets into a fight with a god and, and kills him, which should not be possible in this world, um, these like half god sort of species like the harpies and and things like that should not be able to kill these like exalted godlike beings but she is so her punishment is to spend the rest of her eternity in the like fields of hell digging ditches basically but then she gets busted out um, by one of her childhood friends who takes her through a portal out of hell back into the real world where it is discovered that she is prophesied to be the nyx which is this um mythological creature who will write the balance of power between half gods and gods and defend them and like defend the oppressed and this kind of vision of greek of the greek gods or the greek pantheon most of the gods are like jerks like hera is a murderous horrible she beast and um like they're just all really awful and oppressive and the worst. Um, and so she is, Zephyr is considered to be like this, prop, the, the coming of like the savior, basically of all of these species that are being really oppressed by the gods. And in typical YA fashion, she's like super not here for it. Um, she doesn't want to be the savior of anyone or anything. She just wants to like find out what happened to her sister um, and move on with her life. But you know, complications of being immortal, hashtag. Um, so it's, it's like lots of fun. I like the, um, the idea of what an immortal being with like supernatural immense supernatural powers would look like as like kind of a whiny teenager. I thought that was really interesting. <laughs> um, the romance portion of this, uh, the book is really interesting and there's like lots of twists and surprises and shocks and the way that she handles the gods is great. It's just a lot of fun. So it's promise of shadows by Justina Ireland who I guess full disclosure used to be a contributor for book riot and I love her as a person, but also the book is great. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> 
I have for you Brown Girl in the Ring by Nayla Hopkinson, which is fantastic. Um, <laughs> it is so good. BTW. dubs. <laughs> it is amazing. Um, it is both a dystopian, like, eh, near future is probably the better word. It's a near future novel set in Toronto and, like, a book in which the gods are messing with people's lives. So it, it takes place in Toronto, like, in a future that doesn't feel so far off, where um, the city has kind of collapsed and all of the people with money and power and privilege have moved out to the suburbs of Toronto. And everybody who's left is just, like, struggling to make it day to day. Um, and there is, of course, a like crime boss named Rudy who appears to like have powers that perhaps he should not have. Um, and, you know, he's dealing drugs and he's murdering people and all of these horrible things are happening because of him. And there is a family of women. You get a couple of generations, um, and they, the 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 sort of matriarch um, grandmother, mommy, she is a sort of like medicine woman type figure. She she knows how to make like poultices and er- use herbs to like you know cure headaches now that all the aspirin is gone. Um, and she's been trying to pass this down to her granddaughter Tijin, who is just not interested. Um, she's also Tijin has just given birth. She's got a baby. She's ditched her the. The baby's father because he was on drugs and like dealing with Rudy's posse and she doesn't want any part of that um but she still loves him and he's like he comes to her and he's like we're gonna get out I have to do this one last big job and then we're gonna go and we're gonna get a house in the suburbs and she's like okay great except of course that's not what happens um and all of these like Caribbean gods get sucked in in different ways and there's you know sort of magic and bad bad things happening um and it is it's really compelling and you know, when you think about books like American Gods, where like the gods are sort of at war with each other in that one, this one isn't quite so much like that. And they have different kinds of limitations on them than you necessarily see with like, you know, some of the Western god mythology stuff. Uh, so it's a really interesting and really compelling. Like, I was very concerned for everyone <laughs> all the time throughout the course of this book. And there's some, like, dark, gross, violent stuff that happens, fair warning. Um, as you might imagine, with, like, a crime drug lord who has access to dark spirits, like, that's never going to go well. Um, but it is a really powerful book, and I really loved it. And one of the interesting things is that the there are sections where the characters are speaking sort of, like, colloquially. So there's a lot of slang um, and, you know, dialect in it but the book itself is like it's, it's very clearly just the dialogue and it's an interesting thing to fade in and out of the characters sort of mindsets as they're speaking versus the way that she's telling the story so I loved it loved everything about it that's Brown Girl in the Ring by Nalo Hopkinson okay uh, it is time for our second sponsor, which is A Kind of Freedom by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton. And this book, oh, speaking of multi-generational family novels, which I know you guys like because you have told us so. I know. Look at that segue. It's perfect. Um, this book does not have any gods in it. Uh, it is instead a novel about uh, starting with a woman named Evelyn, who is a Creole woman. Uh, during World War II, she comes of age in New Orleans. And then jump ahead to 1982, her daughter Jackie is a single mother grappling with her 
escape or excuse me uh, absent husband's drug addiction and then Jackie's son TC and during the post Katrina period is out of a four month stint in jail and trying to start his life over until an old friend convinces him to go in on one last deal so this is a book that is about the well according to as the Huffington Post said it's about the ever-present societal forces at work to undermine black success and family um, it's about the international or excuse me intergenerational inheritance of trauma and it's about Jim Crow and how the massive incarceration of people of color for minor drug charges has changed families it's about post-Katrina New Orleans it's about a lot of really big intense issues um, told in this multi-generational family style so it's definitely a book that you're going to want to pick up that's A Kind of Freedom by Margaret Wilkerson Sexton thanks so much for sponsoring the show all right question four is from Stephanie who says I'm working on a series for my booktube channel that's what she read (laughs) where I do a video where I talk about four books from every state so far the easiest states have been California New York and Michigan I was wondering if you guys could help me recommend books set in places I'm having a hard time with North or South Dakota Oklahoma Oklahoma, Nebraska, or Hawaii. Okay, I went with Oklahoma, and I picked a classic for this one, The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, which takes place in Tulsa. I don't know if you knew that. I don't know that it's mentioned in the book, but Hinton (laughs) has mentioned it in interviews. I definitely did not know that. Yeah, it's Tulsa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So if you, do I need to explain the plot of The Outsiders? I don't. I will. I will. I will. I will a little bit. Okay, so it takes place in the 60s. And the main character is Pony Boy, which is obviously not his real name, um, who lives with like his two older brothers, and they are greasers, this is, which is like what they call their gang. Um, and their rival gang are socials. So it's kind of, I mean, it's very obviously divided along class lines. So it's kind of these poor kids from working class families, and then these more like wealthy um, kids. Um, socials have money and, you know, attitudes and whatever. And um, there's a lot of fighting in the beginning of the book uh, th- through a series of like escalating violent contacts between the two gangs. Um, Pony Boy's friend Johnny kills one of the socials, kills one of, stabs him and kills him um, during a like scuffle, I guess, or a fight in a park. Another one of the um, gang members in Pony Boy's gang hides them um, and like <laughs> hides them in a church uh, while they decide what to do and kind of wait for you know the murder to not go away but for the kind of fire to like the heat to go down I guess um, while they figure out if they want to how they want to handle it um, and so they're I just love it so much while they're hiding in this church trying not to be detected or found um, they like read. Gone with the Wind to each other and Robert Frost poems and all of this stuff that like, is this a book about gang members in the 60s? This is okay. Um, But yeah, it's just very like heartwarming (coughs) is such a weird word to use to describe like murderers and hiding, but whatever, there it is. Um, And so eventually the church uh, catches on fire. And um, they're hurt. Pony Boy and the, the his friend Johnny, who they're who are hiding, um, catches on, it catches on fire. They're injured. They wake up in the hospital, and um, Johnny has like his back is broken during the course of the fire when they were trying to escape. And then it kind of goes from there. I'm not gonna like spoil it for you. Can you spoil a book? <laughs> the, I don't know. Anyway, this is like one of the original YA, like a book that made YA 
famous, I guess. I mean, there was YA, there, was, there were young adult novels before this, but, um, and famously, Essie Hinton wrote this when she was a teenager uh, in high school herself. Um, so it's just like, it's just, it'll get you right in the feels. It, I kind of consider it to be like Catcher in the Rye for people who aren't awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so go read that. It's The Outsiders by Essie Hinton. Oklahoma. Have fun. <laughs> Speaking of books we've never read, I have never read The Outsiders. Oh, it's so good. It's never. So good. I don't know. I kind of want to, like, I kind of deliberately want to never read it now, but who, maybe, but, now, but you did. No, I mean, I just, like, because I've made it for so long, but oh, yeah. you did You did do That's a good job. That's how I am with Infinite Jest. Like, I have nothing yeah. against Infinite, Infinite Jest, but at this point, it's just not happening. Right, right. Well, we'll see. Okay, um, I picked Hawaii uh, because I went there for the first time last year and found a short story collection that I love. It's called This is Paradise by Christiana Kahakaula, and it is really good. Um, it is So it is a short story collection, so you've got a bunch of different characters, and it hops around islands a bit. So there's Maui, there's Oahu, there's Kauai, and then there's the Big Island. Um, and there's a, just a bunch of amazing characters like one of them is a young woman whose father was like a legendary cockfighter like the rooster fights is the thing um which made sense to me after having visited because there are roosters just everywhere like everywhere there are just chickens and roosters all over the place um I assume this is why so so one of them is about a young woman who wants to follow in his footsteps um and she like you know she goes and she's you know got her fight set up and then she starts to find things out about her father that she didn't know um there's a story of a young tourist who's like you know finds their way accidentally into the darker side of the city's nightlife um there is a beautiful story about an older man trying to sort of settle his affairs before he dies um there's a couple who are fighting on vacation like there's just a bunch of different amazing voices in this book and she she doesn't always use the same sort of structure either from short story to short story which I appreciated and I just I loved every story in it I thought it was a great collection so that's this is paradise by Christiana Kahakawila and it's me again okay this question is from Miranda who says, I've recently been on a huge sci-fi kick inspired by Yoon Ha Lee, my new favorite author. Yay! Sorry, <laughs> this makes me very excited. Um, but I've gone through everything in that vein I could find, and I need more. So I'm coming to the experts. Conservation of Shadows, Nine Fox, and Raven hit all of my buttons. Super weird but awesome world building. Gross, comma, hive minds, and a mathematical tilt. It's only missing time travel. Since I've been on this kick, I've also gone through Anne Leckie and Kay Jemison. Six Wakes, The Rook series, Seven Eves, The Expanse series, and The Themis Files. Um, I've been having trouble finding more books in this category. There might be some older sci-fi that I'm missing. Give me your weirdest, grossest, most ridiculous, most confusing, most convoluted, most unusual sci-fi. Bonus points for hive minds, cyborg, or AI characters, time travel, mathematicians, and female slash POC protagonists. We got you. Um, I'm just going to keep talking. My pick for you is Born by Jeff Vandermeer, who writes some of the weirdest 
occasionally grossest sci-fi I have read. Um, Born is no exception. It is a standalone book. Uh, his previous um, trilogy, Southern, the Southern Reach um, books, which got like huge, um, are they do all function together. But Born is a standalone, and it is a. It takes place in a city that is just like ruined. Um, it feels like slightly futury, and there are all of these experiments, like from a biotech company that has now gone bust scattered around the city making things extra perilous like there are children who are like weirdly altered and there's a giant bear that is sort of like you know running the city he flies it's weird um and Rachel who is our heroine, is like a scavenger. Um, she shares a, a abandoned apartment complex with a guy named Wick, um, who like does his own homegrown biotech. And she's out scavenging one day, and she finds a thing. Like, she's not sure if it's a plant or an animal, but she's like, oh, this looks interesting. And she takes it home, and it grows into a being that she names Born, um, and that she starts, like, teaching and... Its capacity to learn is weird, and what it is is weird, and through the course of her sort of raising this, like, creature, um, she starts to find out more about the city and starts to uncover some things that perhaps she wishes she never found out. Um, and there's, like, epic fight scenes, and there's definitely weird science. Um, there's a lot of strange characters and strange people who are also not 100% people. It's it's complicated. <laughs> Hashtag it's complicated. Um, but it's a really good book. And I think for me, what made this one of my favorites that he's ever written is the relationship between Rachel and Bourne. Like it's, it's not, it, it, it changes over the course of the book in ways that just make sense given what is going on, but it really anchors all of the like wacky, weird sci-fi stuff that's going on around it. So there's a lot, there's like a good beating heart underneath all of the sci-fi stuff. So that is Bourne by Jeff Vandermeer. All right, I went with the grossest sci-fi book I've ever read, uh, and that's The Stars Are Legion by Cameron Hurley, which uh, has no dudes in it. There are no male characters at all, and it's not, like, noted. It's just how it functions, um, which is great. And so it's just so gross. All right, the main character's name is Zahn. She wakes up uh, with no memory of how she got to where she is or what happened before um, that moment. She is the prisoner of people who say that they are her sister's, and that she is a famed uh, general or captain, I don't remember which, a military genius who is the only person capable of boarding the Mokshi, which is a, a world ship in this universe, um, or I mean, I guess in this in this book, in this star system, I don't know. Um, people live on world ships, so they are ships that they're like in that are moving through space, but they're also kind of planets of like their own volition and they're maybe sentient question mark who knows um but all of them are dying in the in the legion the collection of these world ships are called the legion and all of them all of the worlds are dying um and so the people who live on the various and sundry worlds are kind of at war with each other trying to scavenge from the other ones and take over the other ones so that they can get out of the legion and maybe stop this like slow death um so zan apparently has been sent to the mokshi to take it over more than once and has been kicked off the world or failed somehow 
doesn't remember how. They keep, like, wiping her memory, and you're sending her back and wiping her memory and sending her back. Um, and then um, as she's, like, trying to solve the mystery of who these people are and who one particular person who's, like, super close to her or acts like she's super close to her is and why she keeps being sent back into this world, why she keeps failing and all of that, she ends up uh, going into the deep, deep, deep down into the belly of the world that she's on now. Um, and then, like, half the book is her trying to come up out of that, and it's just... So weird. Like every layer of this world that she ascends is a new level of gross, strange, sticky, squicky yuckiness. Like the women give birth to pieces of the world. Like whatever the world needs to continue to survive is what women get pregnant with. So like you will literally give watch a character give birth to a cog that like is fleshy. And it's just... <laughs> shivery um so this is like as you can probably tell quite a lot of body horror in this book um but yeah it's super super freaking weird and gross and just i couldn't stop reading it and i love cameron hurley for her brain because it's like what is wrong with you it's like that same story <laughs> when i read gillian flynn around like what are you like what right. so anyway godspeed that's the stars are legion by cameron hurley <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's me. I'm sorry. I like needed a minute to. Record. Yeah, you got to make some noises. Sometimes you got to make noises. <laughs> All right. So Anne with an E. Oh, good, good name. So our next question is from Anne with an E, who says, um, "I've recently realized that amidst all of my social justice and politics reading and incredibly dark literary fiction, I've kind of lost any hope that romance and love are real or can exist without one of the participants dying horribly. <laughs> I just read Anne of Green Gables for the first time ever, and I'm completely in love with Gilbert and Anne's relationship, most especially because it emphasizes their quality of mind. I was wondering if you could point me in the direction of some books with relationships. Most of the books I've read, especially YA, seem to be confused between, on the difference between love and stalking, so I could really use your help. Some of the books with relationships that I've really liked have been Kitchen by Banana Yoshimoto, Fangirl by Rimbo Rao, To All the Boys I've Loved Before by Jenny Han, and Howl's Moving Castle. I also like this show. Uh, I also like how the show Steven Universe handles relationships and love. Basically, I'm looking for a romance that's both sweet, adorable, and also realistic. <clears throat> okay. Um, I'm just keep going. I went with When Dimple Met Rishi by Santa Menon, which I will eventually stop talking about, but today <laughs> is not that day. Woohoo! Um, so this is adorable, and I think it has all of the lovely things from Anne of Green Gables that you like about Anne and Gilbert's relationship, but in 2017 or 2016 or whatever. Um, so Dimple and Rishi are uh, teenagers. They are gra they've graduated from high school. They're in that summer between high school and college. Um, and Dimple is just, like, set. She's got her life all figured out. She's done with high school. She wants to be a programmer. She's going to this summer program for aspiring web developers. Um, she's going to kick butt and take names. Her mother is maybe sending her there so that she can find, like, an ideal Indian husband, which Dimple is not into. She does not want to get married. She doesn't even necessarily have interest in dating. She, like, is really focused on her career. Rishi is a really kind of like hopeless romantic. He's very dramatic. He's really into like tradition and his family and like the mythology of his family and like his parents' marriage. Um, and he's one of those those kids who's like deeply respectful of his parents, which was rare when I was a kid. Um, and he, unbeknownst to Dimple, is coming to this summer program to meet her because their parents have arranged their marriage without telling dimple so he shows up and is like hey future wife and she throws a coffee at him because why is this strange guy it's a nice coffee just to be clear uh why is this strange guy like assaulting me on the street not assaulting me but you know like accosting me on the street and calling me future wife and that's so creepy um and then once the like 
misunderstanding is cleared up very much like Anne of Green Gables. Um, they become kind of academic rivals a little bit and then a little bit academic partners um, and start to become friends. And then, you know, over time, maybe it becomes something else. Of course it does. This is like a romantic comedy. What do you think happens? Um, anyway, it's just like, just it's just adorable. Like it's, it's so feel good rom-com fun uh, with a nice added bonus of STEM, science girl stuff. So that's when Diplomat Rishi by San Jimenez. All right, you mentioned Howl's Moving Castle and Fangirls, so I felt comfortable recommending you a fantasy that I really loved called The Chimes by Anna Smale. Um, This book is super weird, and there is a romance in it, but it's a slow burn. It takes a while, and it's really... It's an important part of the story, but it is not the point of the story. So what this book is, is sort of a reimagining of a London where no one can form new memories and there's no written word. Like, not only is there no written word, but it's not allowed. You are forbidden from writing. So... Now, sort of the guiding metaphor of the world is sound, is music. Um, and there are these bells that ring every day, and and they sort of, you know, structure the day. But, but people live sort of from day to day without really remembering anything from beyond that. Um, and so there's a young boy named Simon who is now an orphan, and he's sort of been given a mission Um, which is a hard thing to pull together when you can't remember much. Um, and he, but he's like just determined enough to hang on to like, he knows there's something he has to do and he knows he has to go to London to do it. Um, and it turns out that he might have a gift that can change the course of what happens next in the world that he lives in. And this book is fascinating because because sound and music is the metaphor of their world, the way that the author wrote it, like their musical terms sort of used as like adverbs. Like, so instead of walking quickly, you walk, oh gosh, I can't remember it now, but like she uses musical terms instead. So you, and I'm not like a classical, you know, musician or anything like that. Like I did some music in, you know, elementary and middle school, but, um, but you, you can, so you can figure it out by context. If you don't already know the meaning of the terms, like the context is pretty clear. So uh, that shouldn't be like too much of a stumbling block, but it does take a minute to sort of like, okay, now I understand like what is happening here. It takes a little while to get used to the way the book is written, but it's a really amazing story. It's really intense world building. And the ending is like, whoa, it's big. Um, and, And yeah, I feel like you will be satisfied both with it as a book and with the romance, given what you are looking for. So that's The Chimes by Anna Smale. And last question is from Felipe, who says, I am reading Kim Stanley Robinson's New York 2140 and enjoying it, although it is different from my usual reads. I'm curious as to what other books like it you might recommend, books that address climate change and a changed world. Amanda, what you got? Um, okay, I went with the Mad Adam trilogy by Margaret Atwood. The first book in it is called Orcs and Crake. And this is um, probably my favorite example. I hate, I'm so sorry about for what I'm about to say, but my favorite example of... Don't say it! Don't say it! Don't <laughs> give worst. it! But if don't. they want to Google it, that's what they got to Google. No, like, no. <laughs> it really is a horrible term. No, <laughs> I refuse. I refuse. She's not, she's just not having it. Um climate change sci-fi dystopia whatever thank you (laughs) i don't know so um margaret atwood takes our like existing 
medical and climate and economic um, situation and takes us to the logical uh, conclusion of those things. So this is near future and the main character's name is Jimmy, but he's kind of, or Snowman, he's like known as Snowman if I remember right. Um, And he was Jimmy before the plague and he is surviving in a world where he might be the last human being. He doesn't really know. Um, Everything else is, everyone else has been killed by a plague. Um, And so in this world, um, climate change is such that, you know, there's the stuff that you would expect that we are experiencing right now. There are megastorms, there's flooding. Um, it's so hot all the time that people can't really go outside in the middle of the day without wearing, um, very specific kind of skin protection. Um, and genetic engineering has produced some like super weird animals that are wandering around the book. Um, and there's also issues with the combination of genetic engineering, pharmaceutical greed and um humanity's like obsession with killing bacteria has created this giant plague that has you know wiped out people and so he just jimmy is um kind of like trying to discover if he is the last person and he's he's got these the children of crake he's got these like blue human maybe kind of human uh, companions that like explaining why they're in the book would kind of spoil it a little bit so I don't even I don't even necessarily want to go there um but so the first book is about him and then in the second and third book of course he is not the spoiler he is not the only human being left on the planet that's not really a spoiler um in the second and third books you are introduced to other survivors of the plague and you get closer and closer to solving the mystery of where the plague came from how humanity got to where it is why the oceans are dead um, why we, you know, why corporations took over, uh, the government or the government and corporations became so intertwined that it was, you know, imp- became impossible to tell one, uh, apart from the other, which is of course the exact situation that we are in right now. So it's very prescient and creepy. And if you are at all concerned with like what the world will look like in 300 years after climate change has done its thing, then this is kind of your answer. So that's Orcs, Orcs and Crake by Margaret Atwood. All right. I will preface this by saying that although I haven't read New York 2140, I have read some of Kim Stanley Robinson's other books, and they're not particularly violent. So if you are not interested in violent books, my pick is not going to be for you. However, it is really good. But, you know, trigger warnings for torture and a lot of violence against basically every character in the book. Um, It's The Water Knife by Paolo Bacigalupi. And it takes place in a very near future in which, uh, centered around the American Southwest, where water rights are like the thing. Everything is drying up, and um, Nevada, Arizona, and California are all sort of battling for shares of the Colorado River. And so um, these corporations are mostly in charge, and one of the characters, uh, Angel Velasquez, is like a is like a fixer and an assassin, which and it's called a water knife. And he like goes on missions and like blows up basically water processing plants in places where they're like maybe they don't have as clear legal ground as the corporation does, and so he just like goes and makes the 
makes the power the processing plant disappear and now nobody can live there anymore whoops like <laughs> oops i just I tripped, tripped over fell. these yeah i tripped over these explosives and now you don't have a town anymore sorry um and so like he's not a good guy does some bad things for his boss um and then there's another character lucy who is a journalist who could leave like she could go to the northwest she could live with her sister and her family um and like get out but she is just so compelled to keep documenting this gradual sort of decay and destruction, and yet the people who stay in Phoenix, she just like she can't look away. She's so she's you know she's there as a reporter, um, and she has some contacts and stumbles across something that is it becomes like the crux of the whole book. There's water rights. There's these fabled water rights that will like change the whole game and everybody's after them. Different governments and corporations and there's guns and there's drug dealers and there's just like everybody is on this trail that she has gotten sucked into. There's also a young girl, Maria, who's a refugee who is just like trying to stay alive, and that is not easy. Um, and she's like trying to make good choices, and repeatedly is not able to make good choices because of the situation she finds herself in. So they and their lives like intersect and come together, and it's fascinating because it is so bloody and violent, but it's also like a legal thriller because everybody is after these like literal water rights, like legal, like it's court battle stuff that is spilling over into violence and, like, gore in the streets. It's really intense. And I think he pulls it off because you end up caring in ways you are not expecting about the characters that you meet. And, like, even with all of the darkness and violence, there are these little moments of hope that really shine through, which is a feat when you've written a book that is as bloody as this one. So it's it's a really interesting look at, like, what the water rights situation could look like. And it doesn't honestly does not feel that far-fetched. Um, and it's also, like, a thriller, and there's a lot going on, and there's great characters, and, yeah, it's an intense book. Uh, so that is The Water Knife by Paolo Bacci Galupi. And that's our show. Ta da! <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please do leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts. We love to see your feedback, and it helps other folks to find the show. Thank you so much to our sponsors today. Um, you can find me on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that's Jen with two N's. Uh, I am mostly on Instagram. It's I'm Amanda Nelson. It's very creative. <laughs> and we will talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>